We record on Turrbal and Yagara country in Mianjin, Brisbane. The Committee for Brisbane acknowledges the First Nations people of the region and their continuing connection to and care of the land, waters and community of that region. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Welcome to Dream Boldly, the podcast that brings together the best and brightest minds from Brisbane, Australia, proud host city of the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Our guests will be experienced and well-known Brisbane leaders sharing big ideas to help shape a better city and region. Our guest today is Kate Gould, CEO and Artistic Director of the iconic Brisbane Powerhouse. Fueled by a deep passion and familial connection to the arts, Kate cut her teeth professionally in Brisbane and has since enjoyed a 30-year career as one of Australia's leading cultural entrepreneurs and strategic advisors. Her career highlights include co-founding Mona's annual Winter Arts Festival, Dark Mofo, championing the Crows AFL women's team while a director of the Adelaide Football Club, and recently creating Brisbane's newest cultural tourism phenomenon, Night Feast. Here to share what ultimately brought her back to Brisbane after 18 years away, welcome Kate. Thanks, Adam. Now, Kate, it is coming up to almost two years since you took the helm as Artistic Director and CEO of Brisbane Powerhouse, the iconic destination here in Brisbane. What's it been like? It's been a wild ride, Adam. It's been intense. I have worked the longest hours, as have many of our team. It's an extraordinary team, but we're trying to chart new territory for Brisbane. We're really trying to find audiences in Brisbane who aren't, haven't been coming to the Brisbane Powerhouse or perhaps even haven't been coming to the arts. So we're trying to find ways to engage. And I guess that comes from some of the experiences that I've learnt through working at Dark Mofo and associations with Mona, where it is a very egalitarian place and anyone can come and they do. So that's what it's about. It's about how do we connect the dots to help our audiences find and understand and connect with, with art. It feels like it's very much now that we're starting to see your vision, both creatively and strategically, come into full flight with things like the unveiling of the Pleasure Dome late 2022, which is this incredible new Riverside outdoor performance and gathering space, the launch of Night Feast, which I know has just taken the city's imagination by storm. What is your process for kind of coming up with the things that you think the city needs and wants? Mm. What's your process there? Well, I think the opportunity that I have and the advantage is I'm from Brisbane. So I've come back to Brisbane after 18 years and I remember it so well and I have a deep history in Brisbane and my father, some people might know or not, was the founding director at QPAC and the founding artistic director of Brisbane Festival and has a long history in the arts across the nation. So I got to see it from the inside, but the advantage is when you go away sometimes, you get to look back and you think, okay, what has Brisbane got? What is it missing? And so there were some key things that straight away when the opportunity came up for this role, I thought, 
okay, that's where I can make a difference. There's audiences there, I think, who are untapped. We can deliver events and experiences that haven't been seen in Brisbane before in the way that I'm imagining. So straight away, I did think, and that was two years ago when I was pitching for the job, I said, you need something that is a food and art experience because food is a way of connecting people. It is very artful if it's done well and it's by the best chefs as we know at Night Feast. You're seeing some of the, the finest restaurants in Brisbane there. But then you connect it all up with, with art and you present the food in a context, which is, is artful. And in art, it is about context. And so I'm trying to present a context to represent all of the different art forms. The other opportunity I saw, Adam, was that Ohm Festival. So that's actually something that I'm incredibly proud of. And when I say me, it isn't just me. None of these things are just me. They're a collaborative effort. I have a sort of sketch line, wireframe of what I imagined for a concept. And I know how to put them together. I've been doing it for 30 years. But then what I do is I work with artists. I select different curators and try to construct a team where we all have a response to filling out that wireframe. So OM was that. OM is a festival of other music. These kinds of festivals happen around the world, but they don't really happen in Brisbane. There isn't any event or venue, and I have to say this fantastic venue for some music in Brisbane, fantastic. And so I knew that there's opportunity and there's audiences there, but there isn't any venue or festival that's really filling the space of showcasing music that's around the edges. So it's not popular music. It's not the top hits. This is actually around music making experimentation, but still with massive followings. I mean, the Peaches concert the other night was astounding. It was went off future islands. One of the things we've done at Brisbane Powerhouse to enable this, this kind of activity is we've pulled all the chairs out of the venue. We've expanded its flat floor capability and we've got in like, it's like almost 1,200 people into that venue. Mm. So when that happens, it already feels like a warehouse with all that massive, awesome graffiti on the walls. But it's like a, a downtown New York warehouse now with balconies where people overhang. It's just an intimate space for that kind of event. So that was another one that at the beginning of the journey, I thought, I want to do something like home. And I thought about Lawrence English, who lives here, and he is a key curator on that. And then people who've joined along the way are people like Brad Spaulding, who's also one of the curators and head of our arts program. So that's how it comes together. It's one of those things, though, where, you know, I think if we look back at the highlights from your very short tenure today at Brisbane Powerhouse, it is a really surprising and refreshing experience at the powerhouse to what we've seen. And I was at one of the OM events, incredible artist Nakame, and it was my partner who said, this whole place just feels different. You know, and I think we've seen things with the real focus on the outdoor activation, these kind of more fringe, experimental, artistic experience inside it's a bold approach to kind of come into something that the city is so familiar with. You know, the powerhouse is over 20 years as a performance and cultural institution here in Brisbane. Is there any sense of trepidation when you come in and you go, I'm going to make some big changes? What's the process for kind of rallying people around that vision and, and backing yourself to just do it and get on with it? Yeah, Adam, it's a good question. And I've 
been in this, as I say, industry a long time and I've taken some some big risks and in my career as well, taken some big risks and walked away from things and had some startup businesses. So I think in a way, I probably, it has prepared me for that journey. I know how hard the journey is to turn it around. And I know that sometimes it's easy just to sit back and kind of collect your salary and think, oh, just business as usual and do a few tweaks to the outside. But that's not what it's about. You just got this thing inside you where you think, okay, there's a potential. Let's try to realize that. So it's been really difficult. I guess I underestimated the capability of the organization to start to. It was pretty run down and COVID really knocked it around. So everything from its IT systems to it's just finance systems, it's a lack of staff because people had, you know, been lost through COVID. It was not in a great place. And then we got hit by a flood. So it was quite a journey, but I'm I'm still super motivated by the desire to do things and do them well and gathering the right team. So some people, it's too much of a journey. It's too many risks and it's not for them. And that's fine. You know, people have sort of cycles in their own careers, but I'm trying to be very clear about our vision and very clear about our brand. And that was the first thing. And I think anyone as a sort of word of advice to anybody is just know who you are and what you're trying to do. And if you're clear then people who join you are also clear and the audiences you attract. So that's how it worked, but it's not been without a few sleepless nights. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that this appointment was a homecoming for you 18 years away. How did you know that it was time to return to Brisbane and what was it ultimately that drew you back? Look, I've been working around the country and I was travelling back and forth to Hobart. I was living in Adelaide. I still have a place in Adelaide. And it's pretty tiring, very tiring. So I was traveling every week somewhere and consulting as well. So the opportunity for something as special as the powerhouse, it's extraordinary, iconic building, one of the best and most so um, compelling as as a building in, in terms of an international profile too. I thought, this is the time. I also had lost my dad a couple of years ago. And it brought me back to Brisbane and I was thinking more about Brisbane and it just seemed that the stars aligned. So I wanted to be here. We are very glad that you are. One of the things you touched on earlier was your involvement as one of the founders of Dark Mofo. For listeners who are unfamiliar, it is an iconic midwinter festival in Tasmania as part of the Museum of New and Old Art, Mona in Hobart. It's certainly become one of the country's most iconic cultural experiences. In your capacity as co-founder and then as executive director of the festival for seven plus years, what's the secret to its success? It is very much, I can never talk about Dark Mofo without of course, mentioning Lee Carmichael, who's the creative director. And we sweated on that project. It was it was very, very difficult and had its moments. And Mona is, of course, its own curious, fabulous beast. Its secrets rely lie in the fact that, again, it is true to itself. It is actually for the community. That's a big lesson I took away. You don't make something in Simon and make an event to attract a lot of people. Just make it for your own community. And be clear about, again, purpose. It's 
brand was unashamedly who it is and that was very liberating. I mean, it was off the back of Mona too, so there was a lot to work with, Adam. But I think that there was a certain freedom in the project, which again informs me. Now, we're in we're part of council at, at Brisbane Powerhouse, so we probably don't quite have the freedoms of <laughs> dark mofo, but indeed there's still a freedom of thinking that you can adapt and bring to play. So those experiences really taught me a lot. It also taught me how far you can go if you are building exploration of ideas and not just fluff. It's got to be rooted, whatever you're doing, in a concept and, and thinking and, and ideas. Then you'll, you will achieve something interesting that people want to come to. There's a word that has come up a couple of times while we've been chatting, and that is brand. And it's something that clearly is of significant importance to you and, and that you have such a grasp on. Where did that come from in your career, that real affinity with the potency of brand? Look, it's Lee Carmichael. I go back to the creative director of Dark Mofa, who was also the brand creator with Mona. And look, in collaboration, of course, with with the owner-founder, David Walsh. But he understands about the intrinsic value of brand. And it's not just something that you think of as in a commercial sense. It's not about that. Brand can be so much more. It's about the personality of what it is you're dealing with. It's about your brand or who your friend's brand is. You know, that's the kind of person you want to hang with. And so I try to imagine that. I try to kind of personify what it is that we're working on and imagine it as a close friend and how I would want it to be and how the attributes that contribute to making it something that's attractive to me. So that's when I talk about brand. It's very much not that commercial thing that we all associate with brand. And through that lens then, how would you describe the Brisbane powerhouse brand of a Kate Gould era? I think that I want it to be something that is approachable and of course, at the edges of contemporary art and culture, but it is a place where anyone can be and feel welcome. And it's a monolithic building, but its doors are open. And that's part of the philosophy of coming out into the park is to connect with with a broader community and the weather and the environment, which is very Brisbane. So it's kind of like, for me, a grown-up Brisbane. It's our contemporary Brisbane. It's who... I wanted us to be when I was 16 years old going to Brisbane State High School. I wanted something like this and I feel that I can finally create something that uh, responds to people who didn't have the opportunity to connect. You mentioned that your deep family connection to the arts and particularly in Queensland had a very significant impact on, on your career trajectory and your career started here in Brisbane, 30 plus years around the country. What is it that keeps you within the arts and cultural industries? Adam, it's another good question. It can be a love-hate relationship because <laughs> it can be quite exhausting. We are all in the arts industry still making do. We don't have a ton of money at Brisbane Powerhouse, far from it. It's a very difficult environment to make something happen and to make it look good out front, which is what we do in theatre. What motivates me, and sometimes I get a bit cynical too about the arts industry and people talk to me about its value to change lives and I sometimes roll my eyes a little bit, but there are moments when I do look at what's happening and you're in an, an event like at Peaches or at Night Feast 
and you observe that that actually does have an impact. It has a lot of meaning for people. It brings people together. And COVID was a very barren time emotionally. I think we all were lacking something when we couldn't experience shared moments of art together. So that's what I'm seeking. For me, it's the perpetual kind of goal, which is like a drug, Adam. (laughs) If anyone who works in the arts industry knows, it is a drug to meet that magic moment where art collides with thought and an audience comes and you have that sort of experience together where you you all learn something. Kate Tempest the other night was an example of that. People in that concert were quite moved and slightly changed. I wouldn't overstate it, but there's something, something's a little different for those people now. Mm. I think when I've had conversations about the observed changes at the Brisbane Powerhouse over the last couple of years, it feels very much like it's a tourism play more so than an art play. Is that correct and is that deliberate? And if so, why cultural tourism and and why do you think that's so significant in shaping a city? In the arts industry, we've always missed the tourism opportunities, I think. And it's hard because as I learned the other day, as I'm getting a crash course in tourism, you've got to be always on. And if you have an event that's ephemeral and and the nature of the arts is it's gone. So I'm trying to find ways to connect all that up. I mean, I'm unashamedly, I'm trying to get money too, Adam. (laughs) Let's face it. I've got to pay for all this stuff. (laughs) So that's part of it. And I see that we can do things because we're such an extraordinary building that can attract people and we can enhance those experiences. And I have to say, Adam, we haven't fired all our big guns yet, so Mm. stand by. (laughs) Any spoilers? Anything you can reveal? I can't. I've got a couple of little secrets I'm sitting on, which I hope to reveal in in the next couple of months. Fabulous. One of the double-edged swords of having your own venue is, of course, you know, so many people, and particularly within the arts industry, would be like, oh, if only we had our own venue. But especially when you have a venue such as the Powerhouse, which is an iconic Riverside building, former power station, is not without its challenges. And you, you alluded to some of those that the state of disrepair that the, the building had fallen into as a result of the COVID closures How challenging is it maintaining a building of that nature? It's really, really, really hard. It's really hard. And Brisbane City Council are fantastic. People warn you about councils. Are they going to be bureaucratic? But they actually, look, I cannot speak more highly of council, but it is really hard. It's really hard for them too. You know, we got flooded, as I said, and the damage that happens, and that's just going to continue. So everything we do is hard I still have lots of chats with the original architect, Peter Roy, lots of conversations, and he informs me on things. And it's it's important to keep to the original concept, but life is changing. You're acquiring higher standards of sustainability. These are things that old buildings didn't do and didn't factor in. So we're trying to lift all of that at the same time. It's tough. One of the... Well, there's many innovations with an event such as Night Feast, but the zero landfill program or project driver is something that I think is particularly interesting. In a world where, you know, that's just another thing, you know, you're already putting on an event of scale, there are hundreds of stakeholders, it is a big undertaking, there's seating for 1,200 people for goodness sake, to then go and you know what, we're going to do it with zero landfill, why is that important? 
it's hugely important and it's been something that I've really wanted to do for the longest time and I have the chance to do it and I'm going to do it because this is what our community expects too. Our audiences expect it. We should hold ourselves to a high standard on this. I mean, I would like to get to a point where everything is reusable on that site to really make us a benchmark for how an event can be. But that is expensive. It's complicated. It's a lot of communication to people. It's really hard when people go up to order a drink and you're told, well, it's a $7.50 cost to actually buy your glass. You can get it back for $5, but the profits go to support the Zero Landfill Project, which means we separate all of the waste and we wash all of the glasses. But to have all of that conversation when you actually just want to get a glass of wine, (laughs) that is a really hard concept. So it's really cultural change that we're trying to inculcate. So it's worth it though, Adam. And I think that it's up to us as leaders in the industry to take a stand. It's all over Europe, I've got to say. Events in Europe, this is all anyone talks about. And we're quite behind in this, these stakes in Australia. So we've got to step up. We've touched on the highlights of your career, yeah. of which there are many. Are there any absolute flops that you just, you still lose sleep over? <laughs> I have had so many flops, Adam. Of course, anybody in this industry has had terrible failures. I mean, I remember my most sort of iconic failure that still people at the Adelaide Festival laugh at me about. So I was CEO, Associate Artistic Director of the Adelaide Festival, and we had, and I'd I'd worked really hard to get Ennio Morricone to the Adelaide Festival. Paul Grabowski was artistic director and we worked over time with the programmers as well and we got this legend. I mean, we all know he's a legend and I, I it was one of the career highlights. But during the outdoor concert, the live outdoor concert which we had, which was just perfect, it was a still Adelaide night, you know, people had flown in from all over the place. He was there and then suddenly... The Clipsal 500 car race started up (laughs) and you could hear it coming over the city and it was a complete disaster. (laughs) I almost vomited and I didn't expect it because it was a complete miscommunication and I have looked back on that and I still cringe. But I got a hundred of those war stories. They're they're (laughs) terrible. They're terrible. And there's been some times truly that I've actually just worked so hard that I've, you know, sort of broken myself too. And I think we've all had those moments in this particular industry, but I would never do it like that again. Mm. I'm much cleverer about how I work. The key takeaway there, just cross-check the major events calendar. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. In the spirit of this podcast, Kate, what are your hopes and aspirations for Brisbane more broadly? Look, Brisbane just has to be itself. It has to lean into itself and who it is. I mean, we have so much to be proud of. I think it is the best city to be living in and I'm living here on purpose because I guess I could be living another place and I want to be here. We've got this huge opportunity leading up to the Olympics, but I want us to challenge ourselves to think around the next look of Brisbane, who we are in the future. There's been some very dark days of of Brisbane's history, who I'm, you know, I'm over 50 now and I remember those. And we now have to think about where we want to be and how we want to be seen. So forget try to compete with everyone else. Forget talking about other cities and how they're performing. Just be who we are. And in summary, what would you say it is that makes Brisbane, Brisbane? I think it is what I love about Brisbane, and I hope we never lose this, and that we have this 
self-deprecating way where we actually feel a little bit sort of not embarrassed but not quite as confident as we should be but you know what that's fantastic that's super endearing nobody wants to hang out with someone who's overconfident and overstating of their position we're sitting on this extraordinary place with great cultural diversity we just need to relax and just be who we are beautifully said thank you so much for joining us kate thank you adam Thanks for listening to Dream Boldly. This podcast is brought to you by the Committee for Brisbane in association with Aruga. The Committee for Brisbane is an independent, not-for-profit organisation whose vision is for Greater Brisbane to be the world's most livable place. To find out more, please visit committeeforbrisbane.org.au. Please remember to rate and share the show. See you next time.